Yeah, it's not just we work and everything flows together like paint over paper and then come home and we get to play fetch and stuff. And nothing bad ever happens. <laughs> I wish I was like that. <laughs> a lot of days it is. And then there's some days where you Y'all be questioning, you be questioning <laughs> your whole life and the dog is thinking about calling the school and everything. Listen, dog done stole your cell phone like, come get me. <laughs> Today we're talking about doggies. Bark, bark. The working bark barks. We're talking about guide dogs today. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted a little warm and fuzzy episode. Um, This is our last episode we're doing together for the year. We're going to focus on the realities and misconceptions of guide dog travel, the guide dog lifestyle. This is not a general rundown of like, this is how you get a guide dog. This is how you apply. And this, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. Um, we're just going to talk about the lesser known realities of living the guide dog lifestyle and overlapping with the service dog handler lifestyle in general. Mm-hmm. For people who do not know, I have a decade of guide dog use experience. My first guide dog got him when I was 19. He was a golden retriever. He worked for six years, uh, never got to retire him. He did pass away from cancer. And that was in 2018. And then shortly after he died, I got my second guide dog. I had applied for guide dog number two before he died. I didn't know he was going to die. I thought he was just going to retire, but the application was done. I got my second guide dog not quite two months after my first guide's death. I've had her for years. Oh, my God. I love her so much. (laughs) I know. Yes, Olivia's met her. So she's a black lab female. I also love her so much. I'm hoping that with this one, I do get to experience the joys and struggles of a guide dog retirement and uh, everything that comes along with that. I was a guide dog user for under nine years. I also got my first dog when I was 19. I found out that he had cancer end of 2014, early 2015. Then he went into chemo and remission. We were doing what's called a step-down retirement, which is you just like work them less and less. Yeah, it's a gradual retirement. Yeah, because he really loved to work, but he just, mm-hmm. he wasn't as fast as he used to be and stuff. And it right. was a lot of me walking him <laughs> instead of him guiding me. Uh, he was supposed to retire fully on September 9th, and he got sick September 8th, and I actually had to put him down on September 9th. And that broke me. I have not gotten another guide dog. I applied again in 2018, but they told me at the time that I didn't do enough to qualify for another guide dog, which pissed me off. The way my life has unfolded in the past four years, it's actually turned into a blessing that I did not get the dog because of the trajectory that my life is going. A guide dog is not in my future. I think that's a great transition into the first thing we wanted to tackle in this episode, which is this misconception that the public has that guide dogs are for everyone, right? Every blind person should have a guide dog. Guide dogs are the superior mobility aid for blind people. Nope. (laughs) As much as I love having a guide dog, and I will always have one as long as I am mentally, emotionally, and physically able to provide for and work a guide dog. I do not have this perspective that guide dogs are for everybody or even that guide dogs are the best mobility aid. I think it's best for me. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we have to remember, it's not like you get to just work this dog and then when you're done working it, there's not an entire living creature that you have to attend to and take care of. 
there are realities to working a guide dog that are not for everyone. Exactly. One, they cost money. You want to know how much a cane costs versus a, a dog? I think fifty-four <laughs> or so dollars on my last cane. I've spent that at least a month for Artemis's food. Add to it for a good portion of that, I wasn't working. So trying to do that on, I was getting government assistance at the time and they don't give you an allowance if you have a, a service animal. Yeah, not in the United States. Um, That I'm aware of. In some I'll states there may be. Okay, I'm going to okay. walk it back. In some states there may be an allowance for guide dogs or for caring for a service dog when you're on social security, but- Not in the ones we live in. <laughs> insofar as we're aware, not in the states we live in. And then God help you if your dog gets unexpectedly sick. Now, the school that I went to, I won't say any names. They did help with vet bills and stuff, which was one of the reasons I went to them. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it was a reimbursement sort of situation. Like sometimes, right. you know, my vet would contact the school and do it that way, especially when I already started going through cancer treatments because I could not afford any of that. So they did pay for that up to a point, but for like other stuff and you don't have a, any disposable income, that shit adds up. You have to provide for the dog's food, their healthcare, and their enrichment. The world of dog toys is lovely and fascinating and people have spent so much money on dog toys mm -hmm. and we, we love them, right? These are our babies. And so they work their asses off and mm -hmm. they're going to play just as hard. So, yes, man, I'm going to have the shopping spree for my dog. I'm going to buy some stuff for her to tear up or fling around and eventually destroy. I don't care because this dog puts her ass on the line for me every day that we leave this house. And I don't take that for granted. It's like when you are taking care of these creatures, there is the financial cost. There is the emotional cost. Oh, my gosh. That's high. People downplay that. I think when people say guide dogs are the best mobility aid, you don't think of aspect. the fact, the emotional cost. And it's not just, okay, I'm going to lose this dog one day. That's not even what I'm fucking talking about. Like, no. yeah, that's scary. That's terrifying. That sucks. Before then, the emotional labor of working with a living creature that you can't talk to them. And so there's work-related instances where you get frustrated with each other. <laughs> So true. Sometimes you have to be a cheerleader for your dog. Mm -hmm. Occasionally. Anxiety and stuff or whatever. Sometimes. Or sometimes you have to deal with a very hard-headed dog. Yes. If they're having a bad day. Sometimes the dogs do have a bad day. And then sometimes you just... Y'all have different understandings of the way that the day is going to go. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to explain it. It is a trip. It's like your dog sometimes wakes up and like they have an understanding of where y'all are going that day. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, no, we're going to these other places. And your dog mm -hmm. is like, yeah, sure. Anyway, and then they operate like they get to control the team. I'm like, no, 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 no. Or when your dog gets bored, he's still like, we would go to work every day. And at first it was fun for him. And then he's like, we're here again so then he doesn't want to work or when they play you because then i would call my my guide dog school i would call them and have them like send somebody out to go and check on you know like he's not doing xyz and they would show up and then he would act like nothing was wrong i'd be like no seriously he was just doing there's that push pull like you said of wills sometimes you win and sometimes you lose sometimes you're frustrated <laughs> And yeah. that matters. And like you said about not just the fact that you're going to lose them, but 
Also, I will fight on this hill. There is a different bond that you create with your service dog, guide dog or whatever, because one, they're with you a lot of the time, but two, you have to rely on each other in a way that you don't have to with a pet dog or whatever. There have been instances where we both saved each other. Not to say this can't happen with a pet, but it happens in small ways. It happens all the time. Exactly. People don't consider that. I think they only see the surface like, oh, there's this blind person walking very fast and independently with this guide dog. Or like, oh my God, can the dog read street signs? Doesn't know the difference between lights and all that other stuff, nope. but... That's annoying. And that's the other cause, the other emotional toll that mm -hmm. people do not consider is having to deal with the general public. And Jesus. I think the guide dog schools give you a good heads up that, well, one, when I got my first guide dog, they told me your family's going to be the worst. And they were right. About <laughs> accepting the level of independence you can gain with a guide dog. There are a lot of things that maybe you used to ask your family to do or help you with or go places with you. And now you can have greater independence as a guide dog user. It does not come with the territory. I will say that it is something you do have to fight for. That's true. Now, because you have this living creature, from my perspective, it was I owe it to this dog to enhance my independence. I didn't get him thinking about my first guide dog. I didn't get him so that I could keep asking my family member, like, hey, can we run to the store together? Hey, can we do this? Hey, can you take me there? It's like, I need to find the most independent way for me to get there. You know, that's emotionally draining to some people. But I was so inspired by getting a guide dog. I just was like, okay, I can't be lazy about my independence anymore. I can't be like, have with it. You know, I've mm -hmm. got to find all the different things I can do by myself and all the different places I can go. And, oh, I can go new places now with more confidence because yep. the dog knows how to find the bus stop even when we get lost. And right. and that was all new, shiny and exciting to me when I got my first dog. I'm not like that anymore. Oh, my God. The, the idea <laughs> of getting lost for fun, get, getting lost for fun right now. But no, I, I don't have time for that. But I, I was in college. It. I was in college at the time. So that's all of us. We all have time to get lost. And like, where is this? And how do we get back that was actually how Artie and I got lost the first time because I felt that I had been home with him maybe like a month and I was just sitting in the house and I'm like I got this dog with all this training you know they told me from breeding up through yeah training, you've got the like creme de la creme thousand dollars yes you've got the creme de la creme dog. of dogs right and so I'm just like I'm just sitting here in this house it's a summer day we're not doing I must let's go. We're going to go to this park. And that was the first time we got lost because I was like, uh, I actually don't know where we are. And this was before I had like a usable cell phone, right? I had like a flip phone that I could only make calls on at the time that did not talk. So GPS white. So I understand that feeling like I owe it to this dog because of all this training and all the stuff that it's gone through to utilize him and give him the chance to do the job that I got him for. All disabled people don't experience that. That's how we felt. When it comes to the public, oh God. So there's the advocacy you have to do with your family and reminding them that the dog is not your pet. It's not the household pet. I did get this dog for me. You don't get to dictate what I can and cannot do with the dog. But then with the public, it's the same. There's the annoying shit where people want to pet your dog and they, they oh somehow God. forget that your dog's not there for their entertainment. And it's something that you either get used to or, yeah, you're just going to hate it. I know that there are people who have decided 
that the guide dog lifestyle is not for them specifically because of the general public. Because you do have to be prepared to take that on. There are lectures and guide dog schools that focus specifically on this aspect of the lifestyle for a very good reason. And I don't know if there's really a way to prepare people for it. That lecture is great to listen to, but it is nothing like experiencing. you're in the field. Because in addition to all that annoying stuff, people wanting to interact with your dog and ask you stupid questions about your dog when like you're on the way to work. I'm like, I'm on a time crunch. I cannot stand here and just talk about my dog. Or when they, I was in college, I was late for class, me and Artemis, we were booking it, man. Like we were turning corners and there was a wind when we turned corners. Okay. We were flying. (laughs) And then this person's like, wait, wait, stop. I'm thinking like, Something's there must wrong. be some construction or something. So I'm like, what? What's happening? I'm like, Artemis is like, we both stopped. He's looking around like, what? What's going on? This woman comes up and she just starts petting my dog. <gasps> I just love oh, dogs. I'm like, bitch. I'm fucking late for class right now. Okay. I have to go. And she got offended like I was the problem. I was a massive bitch with when I first got Kipling, my first guy dog. I was a bitch unashamedly. I went <laughs> from being more timid with advocacy to like I was on 10 when I got Kip I was like nope you're not fucking my dog up because I had seen the guide dogs growing up that people let the general public interact with them and Mm. let their dog have inappropriate objects in public and let all the kids pet their dog or let everybody in the gap I have seen that and I have seen the way their dog disengages with them and I'm like nope that's not gonna be me Mm-mm. You are damn wrong. If you think I spent a month in New York exhausted at the end of every day for me yeah. to come home and let you let y'all ruin my, ruin my dog, dog, you are, you got me fucked up. You got me all the way fucked no. up. No. I feel it. There's the really dehumanizing side of this. Uh, not that that stuff's not in some respect, but there's the service denials when it comes to rideshare. And we've talked oh, about that. Yes. But. Service denials doesn't just take place in that form. I think that's the most talked about form of service denials because I do think that happens the most compared to other types of denials. But even to this day, there are businesses we attempt to enter as guide dog handlers or service dog handlers, and people don't want us in there because of the dog. I've been turned Mm -hmm. away from a gas station, from multiple gas stations, actually. And before people go on a prejudice tirade, I've been turned away by white people and Arab or Indian people. Mm -hmm. There was a minute there after I got a guide dog that I did start to have a prejudice toward Middle Eastern people because that was a lot of the folks driving taxi cabs in my area. There was no rideshare or Uber when I first got a guide dog. Mm -hmm. The first business denial I got, the gas station, it was owned by an Indian couple or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I noticed myself as soon as I would hear the accent, I'd be like, oh, boy, here we go with this. But I have fortunately unpacked that mm-hmm. and been like, no, it's white people out here doing that shit. People of all races being fucking ignorant. Right. Yeah, I've had a white person. <laughs> Somebody said to me, I've never seen a service dog that big. That's why they, they didn't want me to come in their business. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's a golden retriever. You ain't seen his- people with these fucking shepherd service dogs. I've gotten denials for like restaurants and okay in my house we don't allow animals in the kitchen and say you're at a buffet this is back when we did buffets i don't do buffets anymore but okay i get you but they wouldn't let me in and then we were like it's the law but then honestly the way i'm built 
I'm like, well, you're going to try to do something to my food because you don't want me here. Um, because they eventually let me in, but they sat me like as close to the door as possible. And I've clearly felt unwelcome because I was. It was a struggle just to get in here. We had to argue them down and explain that it was the law, but the experience was not great. It's fucking winter, snow and wind, and it's cold. We at the door, people coming in, going out. And my dog, of course, he just sat under the table, didn't do anything. And I get it. If your culture thinks dogs are dirty, which is something that I did not know about a lot of Asian and Middle Eastern cultures, they don't view dogs in the way that a lot of the Western world does. But I did not have that information at the time. I just felt very highly discriminated against. And also, your cultural views are not the law. Your cultural views are not the law. And I think that's why they let us in, because they knew that they had to obey by it. But that's a thing that people don't consider. And the other side of restaurants, too, is <laughs> my first denial at a restaurant was actually, it was a Taco Bell. This little 18-year-old girl behind the counter is telling me I can't have my dog in there. That's the other thing. Now you got to argue with fucking kids. Oh, my God. She was a little bit younger than me at the time, I guess. I think of her as a kid now because I'm 30. But now you got to argue with these people. Like, they don't know all the law. They surf safe certified. You don't have animals in the kitchen, right? So all of that makes sense. Like, you can have your dog out on the floor where the patrons are at. And a lot of people just, they don't know that. Having to do this constant educating, it does take a toll on you, especially like if you have a day where you're going to multiple places. And listen, like, please, the thing that fucks you up is I just think I got a busy day because I'm going out shopping and we go somewhere to eat real quick. And then we got some errands and trying to enjoy some leisure stuff. And then on top of all of that, I got to tell people. One, I got to do all the don't touch the dog stuff, but also the yes, I can come in here Mm -hmm. or no, I don't need this. Wow. It's exhausting sometimes. And that is at certain points where I would just not take him. I felt bad because I'm like, that's why I got him. But uh, I'm like, I just don't have the bandwidth right now to deal with that. I want to get in and get out. And for certain people, you know, maybe you're going to the grocery store and this is your first time seeing a dog today in a store. Okay, cool. Great. Awesome. But this is my third stop. And every time I've gone somewhere, I've had to deal with somebody like you coming and touching the dog or trying to pet it on the sly. Like people would do that, by the way. Like they would walk by you and pet the dog. Or one time I was adjusting Artemis's something and then I reached down and there's a whole ass hand there. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, oh, I love dogs. Yeah, I've pushed people's hands off my dog. It's just so much or people's kids so much. And so it would just be for me, I'd be like, listen, I talked to my dog like he could talk back. Okay. I'd be like, I would love to work you, but I just don't feel like dealing with the nonsense today. So mommy, I'll be back. And uh, I would just leave him uh, because I just wasn't, I just couldn't. There's some days you just don't have the spoons. But I also want to talk about how sometimes what people don't also consider is your dog's suddenly getting sick. They're yeah. Like, get a guy Canes dog. don't do that. Canes will never Canes get sick. Not. They might break. They might break. <laughs> oh, I've had a cane break on me as I was walking. Yeah, me too. That's very rare. It should be. It should be. But like your dog getting sick is a reality of working a dog. Also rare, but going to happen more than a cane breaking on you. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. It's something you have to be prepared for. Almost you hope it doesn't happen, but it is going to happen to you. Working it's- animals in public, there's going to be an accident. They're going to get sick or they're going to be like my dog. 
We were in training at the fucking school. We were about to get on an escalator and she shit at the top of the oh, escalator Lord right before we sake. stepped on, right before we stepped oh, onto Lord it. I'm just like, my trainer was not happy, but I'm just like, if it was my first dog and that had happened to me, mm-hmm. I would have been mortified. Yes. But this was dog number two. And not only is she dog mm-hmm. number two, but I work at a school and I work with dogs for a living. And so I understand accidents are going to happen when you have dogs in public. Mm-hmm. It is just a reality of having a living creature as your your mobility aid. I picked up the poop. I had poop bags on me. I always do. As a guide dog user, it left a smear on the floor, though. So I was like, <laughs> I felt bad I didn't have any wet wipes. So I was like, ooh, okay, Raven, you need to add that to your kit. Have a whole ass diaper bag for your dog. You do. You end up making You do one. need to have some <laughs> wet wipes that are like, I just keep poop bags, paper towel, hand sanitizer, even if I don't have wet wipes. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, listen, we're we're beyond the shitting in public stage of it did happen to me a couple of times with this dog, unfortunately, while I was figuring out a routine and a, that worked for us. But it's embarrassing to some people. Like I said, it would have been if it was my first dog. It would have been embarrassing to me. Shit. My previous dog vomited in public a couple of times. And fortunately, fairy god humans descended when that happened with cleanup supplies, there was one time I was in my college bookstore mm-hmm. and I was standing there talking to the lady, checkout lady. And then she like shoves a box over the counter at me. She's like, put it under his head. And I'm like, what? She's like, he's heaving right now. I didn't even notice it. I was new to having a dog. I put the box under his head and he threw up in this box. At least yours threw up in the box. He will always try to turn his head oh at the last God. fucking minute. So I would have to put him in a headlock and make him vomit in where I wanted him My to. My current dog will walk in a circle and vomit. She like, will not stand there. I'm like, why are you like this? Okay, but <laughs> fortunately, the public is typically gracious about it. Not always, but typically in my experience, they are. Mm-hmm. because they know too like it is a living creature and it's not like there's a button in them that's like poop now it's right sometimes they get sick <laughs> sometimes they eat stupid stuff that they shouldn't fucking do sometimes that's a whole other thing fucking feed them shit oh people do feed your dog the, stuff that yep, they should on the low and because the, they know Ooh. it's wrong so they don't even ask and nope. they just slide it and then they, oh, it's the problem. Listen, I'm the one who has to deal with the sick dog, not you. And then furthermore, you didn't even ask me, how rude is that? You knew you were wrong because if you knew you were right, then you would have said, hey, is it okay if I give them this? But you didn't do that. So your ass knew. Oh, child. Yeah. You have to learn some extra coping skills and get some extra mental fortitude on board when you have a service dog. I do think so because- you Learn real quick. This is all stuff that canes don't do. And now you were thrust into this world and the schools, there's only so much preparing they can do, right? Right. If somebody could walk you through the first two years with a guide dog, (laughs) I think that might get you ready, but they can't do it. A lot of schools, you're only there for two weeks now. Back when I got Kipling, it was a month and now it's two weeks. Even two. I actually have had to call off work. Like I use my sick time. Mostly for Artemis. Yeah, I've had to skip class when I was in college, yeah. Skip class or, you know, not work them. But there was one time he got the shit. My bus was outside and he just shot on the floor and it was goopy and gross. And I was like, oh, we can't go in. And then I think it was a situation at the time, too, where I was in between paychecks. So I was like, don't have the money for a Lyft or Uber and that also matters, like we said, with the whole service denial thing. And that's a whole thing. Yeah, this is great. With service denials, with rideshare, and then I got to get my sick dog into a rideshare yeah. and hope 
to Hope. every god who has, does, and will exist. Any fucking deity. Like, please, please don't throw don't up in here. Please, please don't throw don't, up in this car. Please, please don't, don't poop please in don't this shit. car. Please. please don't throw up. You just don't know. So I'm just like, uh-uh. Even like, for example, when Artemis uh, started going to chemo, I started using my sick time for that. We'd get off early and then I would go and take him to chemo. These are things that people do not think about when they're like, oh, you should get a guide dog. They just see the person confidently strolling down the street and you don't know all the extra things that we have to deal with. And listen, I'm not saying this stuff to make it seem like having a guide dog is a terrible thing. I'm just no, saying it's not it's not for everybody. This takes extra energy. For me, it is worth it. Hopefully, I will get the chance to do it 10 times again. I will mm -hmm. keep doing it because I love working with dogs, right? I do it for my career. And then also I get to work with my guide dog. And for all the terrible things that happen and for all the draining things that happen, it's also fascinating to connect with this animal and they can't speak the same language as you. And sometimes that's frustrating. And then there's times where even though we can't speak the same language, it seems like we're fucking telepathic and it's oh it's just gosh, really magical. Yes. You it know, so you, magical. you have these magical <laughs> moments, you know, hopefully those outweigh all the moments that are dehumanizing and draining. I do think a natural part of having a guide dog, I would love to pull guide dog users or service dog users. I hope it's not just me, but there are legitimately times I have where I'm just like, I uh, should not have got a guide dog. That's life, though. Yeah. Like oh, God, if I didn't have a dog, I would not be going through this right now. <laughs> it happened to me when I first got Kipling, and then it happened to me earlier when I got my current dog. I was like, you know, Raymond, you did not have to get another one mm -hmm. um, when I was having the really frustrating moments of like, you know, when you're first learning how to be a team. It's wonderful to learn what makes your dog tick and like how to communicate with this specific dog and reading their signals and them reading your signals. And, and that's beautiful. But then it's mm -hmm. also frustrating when it's like their brain is a wall and they're like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm like, Listen. no, no, that's not what's happening. <laughs> Listen, I get you. Uh, when I first got Artemis and right before everybody was getting their dogs. I had one of the biggest panic attacks in my life because I was like, I had called my mom in tears. I was like, I think I made a mistake. I want to come home. This is a terrible idea. Da, 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 da. She's like, calm down. How about you try it out? And then if you truly don't like it, if it's not for you, you can always, you know, give the dog back because for majority of the time, that is an option. You can rehome the dog for, you know, I've known people who've had to rehome or if the dog's not working out or if the situation changes. Well, you can always send the dog back to organizations. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think up until the age of four, they can rematch the dog with a different person. Right. I was like, this was a mistake. And then I got him and all that went away until it resurfaced when the first time he did something to me at the time, very tragic, you know, like it was very distressing. Yeah, very distressing. You're like, oh, my God, like this was the dumbest idea. Why did I think I could do this? I never had these problems before. And so it's just part of one, it being new. And then two, like even with your second dog, like you've had the moments where you're just like, listen, I did not have to do this. I did this shit to myself <laughs> because of the way my, my life is going and the type of life I want to live. It does not lend itself to uh, being a guide dog user, but I will forever cherish that. And should my life go in a different direction? Oh yes, most definitely. I will be getting another dog, but the life I want to live 
it's not conducive to Mm-mm. having a guide dog. And that's something else that people have to think about. Every time I've encountered parents and they're like, I want my son to get a guide dog or somebody who's like, I tried to talk my aunt into getting a guide dog. And I'm like, bro, we are trying to figure out how to take care of ourselves sometimes. All like, right. you don't understand. Okay. Ooh. It's not just having a dog. Yeah, it's not just... Okay, we we work and everything flows together like paint over paper, and then uh, you come home and we get to play fetch and stuff. And I wish it, bad ever happened. <laughs> I wish it was like that. <laughs> and a lot of days it is, and then there's some days where you Y'all be questioning you other. be questioning your whole life, and the dog is thinking about calling the school and everything. Listen, dog gonna stole your cell phone. Like, come get me. <laughs> There's moments like that, but I, I do try to tell parents, I'm like, listen, this is a lot more involved than you think. It's not like mm-hmm. they put a harness and leash in your hand and you are the most independent, kick-ass, blind person of all time. Not like I said earlier, you, you've got to fight to be that person if you're not already there. Because some people get a guide dog and they was already moving and shaking with a cane. Okay, I get mm-hmm. it. A lot of times you have to fight for that. I do tell them about the financial cost for sure. And then also, like, don't even throw into the mix, like, when regular everyday shit happens and the way that that influences your relationship with or your ability to take care of your dog, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but there was a time in my life where I had really bad depression. I had suicidal depression, and this was after I got my guide dog. It wasn't related to doggy anything, but I had suicidal depression. Mm-hmm. It got really bad. And of course, your habits, your hygiene habits and your habits for taking care of yourself fall to the wayside. And this can negatively impact your dog. And I tried really hard to not let that be the case. It, that meant putting my dog's care above mine, which whatever. People don't think about that, right? Like that's a no. regular everyday life thing. Or yeah. I got my dog at a time in my life where I was going through a lot of transitions. There was college, which is a time of transitions. And then after college, there's moving and finding a job and all of this stuff. And you're having to make these tough choices like, do I take a dog to look at apartments? Do I take a dog to my job interviews? Like all these questions that like, if you just had a cane, you don't you don't have to think twice. When I was having a suicidal ideation, it actually was my concern that nobody could care for my dog the way I wanted him cared for. He came into my life at a very tumultuous time, but I feel that having him to focus on helped me in that regard. Now, I'm not saying it's a fix all for everybody, and there's still people who have suicidal thoughts and ideation and actually go through with it, and they do have service dogs. So please do not think that that's going to change somebody or make their Mm-mm. make make them better or whatever. Oh no. It gave me a reason to keep going Mm -hmm. when I felt like I didn't have any other reason. It has served that purpose for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But then, like Olivia said, don't let those experiences or those stories make you think that a dog is a fix for these problems. It is not. You have to work on yourself. People, individuals have to work on themselves. Do not believe that another living creature that you have to take care of is going to solve your problems. It is not. That is a whole set of hardships you have to be willing to take on like yes there are joys but then like if you're not able to get through everyday struggles please don't take on additional responsibilities if you can help it because that's not going to help you in any way that that's not fair to the dog it's really not another aspect of depression is right like you don't like going a lot of places i do think my dog kept me going places because i was like i'm gonna do it because i need to get him out and work 
I don't know if that necessarily helped my depression and anxiety. In some ways it didn't because there were days I left and I'm like, should have never left the house. You wouldn't have to be dealing with this asshole person if you didn't leave the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a struggle. There's all of that stuff. And then you just have to think about how everyday things that stress you out, not necessarily mental illness, everyday things that stress you out also can stress your dog out or your stress can feed your dog's stress. Because there are the dogs who don't give a fuck. You get stressed and they're just like, yeah, I don't see what the big deal is. And then there's other dogs who are like, oh, God. And You're sad. I'm sad. They're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, they're no. Like, <laughs> And y'all just feed each other in this very yeah, <laughs> terrible. Back loop. <laughs> yeah. It's a vicious circle of, of yeah. stress. So that's something to be cognizant of. All things you don't have to deal with when you have a cane. Truth. Another assumption, and this is specific to the guide dog handler, guide dog instructor, maybe guide dog school employee, community of all of those people. There's an assumption that only certain people should get guide dogs. Yeah. Um, and there's varying levels to that assumption. For people who do not know, everybody is not fit to handle a guide dog. And sometimes that means physically they can't handle it. Some people mentally cannot financially cannot. Some people legitimately do not do enough to provide a dog with adequate work so that the dog just doesn't lay around and get fat or become a menace because they are not properly enriched and they have mm -hmm. to find stuff to do and they are not finding things that are <laughs> desirable yeah. for them to do. So you have to think about that because ultimately these dogs are bred and trained to be problem solvers. That's the way I look at the puppies that I work with at my job. Like all of these are little problem solvers <laughs> and all dogs are like that to some extent. But there are some dogs who are content with a simpler life. And I would say that a lot of guide dogs are not. And you owe it to that mind to place them with people who are going to meet that need. But I think that sometimes this leads to some elitism and this leads yes. to some toxic, I don't know what the word is that I want there, but where you think that just because a person is not walking 15 miles a day and going six places a That's week that they shouldn't have a dog. And I'm like, okay, I well, come on now. This is asinine. I was just about to say that very thing. Okay, first off, yes, collectively, these dogs are meant to be problem solvers and all that jazz. That is true. But you've got some dogs who only want to solve problems sometimes. <laughs> they just want to relax. You are and right. Yes, there are dogs that are okay with, okay, I only go out three times a week if that. And, and the rest cool of the time, I'm frolicking in the yard or frolicking right. with my handler and their family. Yeah. They try to get people in and match them with the dogs like that. I will say, though that there is a hierarchy even when being selected mm -hmm. for getting a guide dog they want people that they feel are doing enough to justify getting a dog and i'm like well what if they do stuff in short bursts right like what if they for example are a contract worker so they only have to go in you know once a month or whatever there's just so many things that you don't that are not considered and they feel like you don't do enough like they told me i didn't do enough i didn't walk enough yeah places. when olivia applied to get applied for a dog for the second time that's when you heard that that's when they enough. told me and the lady had the audacity to get on google maps and tell me all the places i could be going in my neighborhood and i'm like lady i don't go there i do not frequent that establishment i did go to work but take it to account like for example i live in a suburb walking is not a thing we really do here mm -mm. right 
there are bus stops, but you know, most people in suburbs don't take the bus. And they're not frequent. Well, and also the buses in the suburbs is still not the most accessible thing because it's like, yeah, I can walk to this bus stop. But then where is this bus going to drop me off? And how far is that going to be away from places I want to go and things like that? Yeah, because most most bus stops, even if they are picking up in the suburbs, they're not dropping off in them. So for people to make that distinction and say, like, oh, only these types of people should get dogs. It's always been very problematic to me. Now, maybe. If I was a person who walked 20 miles a day and all that whateverness, I would have a different outlook on it. And I won't lie and say that being denied getting a dog does not taint my perspective. But I felt that that way before. But I really felt it after my dog denial. Mm -hmm. It sucks because it does lead a lot of people to thinking that you need to stretch the truth in order to qualify for a dog. And handlers, we all talk amongst each other from different schools. Every school's application process is different. Their admissions processes are different. And so you do learn, oh, this school doesn't like this type of stuff or this school wants you to share this type of information. Right. You familiarize yourself with the different application processes. And Mm -hmm. I've gotten both my dogs from the same school. And the process for applying for the second dog was a little bit different. The questions they asked on the application had changed. Mm. Which is reasonable, and I think schools should do that. They should always be updating their admissions and applications processes, I think. I don't think mine was changed. There's certain details that people are like, oh, I need to put on here that I walk two miles. When you don't, Mm -hmm. or I need to make it seem like I'm going four places three times a week when really I'm going one place most of the days of the week, and then I'll go the other two or three places once a month or twice a year, right? Like when I think about one of my nearby routes is to my dentist office. Guess how often I walk there? Three times a year. Or like my doctor's office. Fortunately, I only go there once a year. So, and that was one of the changes on the application. The second time around, I don't think they were asking you like how often you were going these places. They just wanted to know the routes that you had. And I do think schools should do that. Don't ask me how often I go somewhere because it's like, okay, I go there. There's somewhere for us to go. Like, why does it matter, man? Why? And then like, for me, it encouraged me to go more places where yes. I got in. Yeah, because I didn't have a bunch of routes before I got my first guy dog. And then after I got him, I was like, where can we go? What are, what can we do? Let's go, man. Let's just harness up and just find somewhere to go. And I mean, that was really fun. Sometimes we just went on regular ass walks. Yes. I've never done nothing like, Artemis, you want to go on a walk? And we just walk around the neighborhood. That's not a destination, but it's a thing that I didn't do before. Right. And then with the second dog, I walk a lot, but most of my walking is to and from work. It's a longer route, I guess, by some people's standards. Side of people's standards. It's not a long route by blind people's standards, I don't think. they ask us used to driving. So I have sufficient work for my dog, but am I going four different places three times a week? Hell no. Nah. I work right. full time, man. I'm going to work and I'm coming my ass tired. back home. And then a few <laughs> days a week, we'll hit the park and... And do a sniffing stroll and shit. I mean, I'm not trying to go all these different places like I used to be doing. And so I appreciate that the application this time around was just like, hey, what are your routes or what are three routes you travel most or something? And not like, how often do you go there? Come on, man. Like, you're almost pushing people to stretch the truth. You are. Because there are some people who, yes, like I said, they're doing the damn thing, man. They're out there doing all this shit all the time and Hopping going six planes. different places and flying every mm-hmm. week and whatever. And they got kids and they hauling their kids off to school activities and extra. Great. 
I'm happy for those people and I'm happy they got dogs for those people. But that's not most of us. I don't need a dog that can go, go, go. And a lot of blind people don't, right? A significant number of blind people are over the age of, I want to say 50, definitely 40. Mm-hmm. Some of them are living more relaxed lifestyles. You know, they might be a teacher and they work at the school and then they come home and they taking care of their families. Yeah. And some of those people live in New York City. So by nature, they need a higher energy dog, a more fast paced dog. Those are the people that people think deserve a guide dog. Whereas like there's people in rural, rural communities, they might work from home, but then they got a few different places they visit. They got a local shop they visit and they got a few friends houses they like to go to and they like to go visit their family up the road. And there's dogs for people like that, too. And I think people in this community don't realize that they don't or they feel like, well, that's not enough for a dog. I remember one person they were like you know i live in a rural area there is no walking you gotta drive and they were like i had to stretch the truth in order for me to get a dog because they wouldn't give me one right because it's not like you don't go anywhere it's just you gotta drive everywhere and i think schools are starting to realize that and be more understanding of the way that like blind people live every fucking where so Mm -hmm. some of us are living in walkable areas but some of us don't and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't have control over that does that mean you don't get a dog just because you don't walk anywhere well no because you can get driven to a hospital and you still need or a doctor's office and you still need to navigate when you get to that uh, medical complex that they put these buildings in now jesus i hate those oh yeah these are something else or like if I go on a little shopping spree, like, yeah, we're driving everywhere, but we're doing shopping from nine to five. Right. Or, we're, you know, we're doing shopping and then brunch and then shopping. Right. Like you have days like that where you're like, yeah, we drove everywhere, but we were doing a lot of walking around. So it's not like the dog doesn't get any work. They get work differently from the way that the schools do it. Right. Because the schools, they will drive their little vans and then park somewhere and then they do a lot of walking with these dogs. And a lot of it is outside walking. They do indoor work with the dogs, but a lot of the walking that they do with these dogs is outside. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's what gave some of the people the impression that you need to have these outdoor routes that you do, and you don't. It's not realistic for a lot of people. I wanted to talk about the pettiness Mm. and elitism within the guide dog handler community but also within the service dog community my first thought is like i went to this school and our dogs are but listen sometimes that is true i don't care what anybody says there is the ivy league of guide dog schools there is yeah we not about to sit here and lie at the same time it's the unnecessary tearing down. Like, okay, so you went to that school. Good for you. But maybe they couldn't. Or actually, for example, I knew a lady. She went to the school that I went to and she sang their praises. But the second time she went to go get her second dog, she had two young kids. So she had to go to a different school that was closer and that would allow her to go home and stuff at night. So she ended up getting a dog from another school that's not as reputable as the first. So you don't know people's reasons for choosing whatever school that they've chosen. But for you to sit here and just like throw so much shade, how is that helpful? I am very opinionated when it comes to guide dog schools, especially I know a lot more now that I work at one that has changed my perspective tremendously and probably not in a way that's forgiving. I will admit that. (laughs) 
So what I try to do, because I am going to talk about a school's practices, I think there are guide dog schools out here doing some stuff that I'm just like, y'all know that does not make any fucking sense. Agreed. But anyway, what I do try to do, though, is not think ill of someone's dog just because they got it from a certain program. I can let a team speak for itself or a dog speak for itself and recognize that a dog is not representative of a school because there are teams from the school that I went to. And I'm just like, uh, why are you out here wearing that harness making us look bad <laughs> when that contributes to the very thing that I don't think society should do, which is you got to rep it for all of us. They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't owe it to us. And so what I try to do is just let the school's practices, they deserve judgment and they should. They're nonprofits. I agree. Now, do I think because I think a school is shitty that all teams that come out of that school are shitty? Well, hell no. If they were, there wouldn't be people going to them for multiple dogs because you see the schools that you don't think the highest of. And then you're like, what? You've gotten eight dogs. Fourth dog, right? You've gotten eight dogs from here. Why? You know, I try not to make people feel shamed in that way because I do now understand the perspective that you just laid out. That there are all sorts of reasons people go to the school. People have been denied by schools. Every school does not even tell you why they denied you, and so you can appeal. But it's like, what what am I going to do differently if I don't know what the fuck happened the first time around that made you say no? Exactly. Or sometimes it's a matter of like, I need a dog soon. And they're like, like when I first got Artemis, I think I was on a waiting list. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think I applied at the end of 06 and I got in in summer of 07. And for anybody that doesn't know, they tend to have at least one. Back then it was like one guide dog class a month. The school that you got your dog from now has four classes a month. Yeah, it's wild. Pre-pandemic, though. Pre-pandemic. All these schools just took hits in different ways because of that bullshit. That's true. That a lot of things had to be walked back. So, like, that at least told me, but I know someone else, and they wanted to go to that school, and they were like, sorry, we don't have any, you know, availability. And they were like, well, I can't wait for you to get availability. So they went to another school. Yeah, they just go to you just go to a different school. The great thing about living here in the United States is we have more guide dog schools than any other country in the world. That's true. And so while you do have first choice, second choice, third choice, and then you've got schools that you would never even dream of applying to, sometimes your life circumstances change. And then the school you thought you hoped you would never go to is the school you end up applying to and getting a dog Mm -hmm. from. And they all have the same purpose, but they don't meet the same needs and they don't all provide the same services. And what you need just really depends on where you are in your life as a disabled person or as a person in general and how long you want to wait. Because Mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes you hear that number and you're like, you know what? I'm going to the school I thought I would never be going to because they're not going to make me wait 12 to 18 months. Goodbye. So, and I understand like this is a very privileged position in the guide dog community because lots of service dog handlers have to wait years. They have Mm -hmm. to fundraise thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for their own dogs. We don't even have to deal with that bullshit. Provided that you just need a guide dog and you don't need a dog that helps with additional disabilities. So Mm. this is a privilege that we have because other handlers might dream of hearing something like 12 months. In the context of the larger service dog community, there are some things that we experience that sound soul-sucking to us, but is actually a privilege. Right. 
you view the world through the lens of your own experience. Yes. We've always had options when it comes to guide dogs. And Mm -hmm. if you need a service dog for another type of disability, you're probably listening to us going, shut the fuck up. Yeah, like (laughs) 12 to 18 months. Big whoop. I know I have a friend (laughs) who wants a psychiatric service dog and I think they've been waiting three years. Yikes. Couldn't imagine. We acknowledge the privilege. Yes, we do. (laughs) I think the other elitism comes from like handling styles and training methods. Oh, yes. Everybody's an expert. (laughs) One of the most beautiful things is there's so many, so many, so many ways to work with a dog. Mm. Unfortunately, that does lead people, though, into thinking that their way is the best or that dogs trained with certain methods are better dogs and that's just not fucking true you have lots of people who hate on food reward i don't get it if it works it works (laughs) i also don't get it and then you have people who hate on using any type of it's called correction it's a physical correction i've gotten stared at yeah hatred i know yeah people (laughs) think that you're being mean to your dog the general public does for sure the general public always has some shit to say that's fine. If people have a comment to me about how I work with my dog, I just tell them to call the school. I don't have the patience for it anymore. I used to explain some shit and now I'm just like, just call the school. I don't care. I mean, I'm sorry to trainers. People are wasting your time or whatever, but that's what you're there for, I guess. I don't know. But I do think with handlers, people do judge people who use multiple collars with their dogs and different collars or people who judge the folks who use food reward. And they'll be like, yeah, your dog's not going to be able to work without food or whatever. And it's just like, you know what the good news is, is you don't have to work my dog. Why do you give a fuck? Why do you you give a fuck? If it's not something you're into, then don't do it. Like, it is really that simple. Oh, man. Like, you don't have to work this dog. So you can shit talk treats all you want to. Or you can shit talk me having my dog in a prong collar. Or a gentle leader or any of that. I would never. No, 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 no. Okay, then don't. I ask you. This is what we need in this situation. Exactly. And it's tough, too, because some handlers come from these schools that make it seem like certain tools are bad. They make mm-hmm. it seem like dogs who are trained with treats are not well-trained dogs or dogs who are not working because they have skills but because they want food and that's bullshit it's classic and then you've got schools who make it seem like certain tools are really bad right their schools have banned prong collars they do not want you to use a prong collar on any of their dogs there are schools in this country in the united states that don't want you to use a head collar or a gentle leader on their dogs i do think all of that is dangerous i understand it is easy for people to misuse All of these tools. It is easy to misuse a prong collar or a head collar. It's easy to misuse treats. But what that means is that you need to be better in educating your handlers. I don't like the, well, we don't use this here. There are service dog handlers out there that use the electronic collars on their dogs. That is what works for them because they don't have the physical abilities to be able to use any other type of collar. It's easy for them to just hit a button. They don't have their dogs on a leash. They physically are not able to interact with their dog through a leash, right? And so people who hate on electronic collars don't realize that that is a necessary tool for some people. I mean, it doesn't mean that this dog is being shocked to death. They're being electrocuted. There's a lot of different things electronic collars can do. But there are a lot of people who hate on using that collar and not realizing how that is actually a necessary tool for some people. That is what allows them to be able to use a service dog at all. Mm -hmm. 
it's fascinating to learn about, but then it's also disheartening when people look down upon you. The thing that people don't realize with training methods is there's a way to mis- misuse all of them. You shouldn't just inherently shame somebody because they use a tool that you would never use. Exactly. Depending on your school, for the most part, they try to keep everyone in your class trained the same. They, of course, there are different abilities within the class, but the foundation is the same. I think of it just like driving a car. When you're first learning to drive, you're supposed to have your hands at 10 and 2 and this, that, and the third. But as you become more familiar with the car that you're driving and driving in general, you change it up a little bit. Everybody has their own style. Some people lean back. Some people lean to the side. You know, whatever. They drive one hand, whatever. All that to say, the same with guide dog handlers. Like, you might have been trained how to do everything by the book and by the numbers. But as you become more of a team, one, you get a little bit lax for a lot of people. And then two, you learn your dog and you learn what works for the both of you and you settle into your life. And so you're going to change some things. And so there is no room for elitism because everybody's experience and situation is different. If you don't get it, say that, but you don't have to sit here and throw shade at somebody doing something that you you don't do for whatever reason. I'm not going to lie. I've seen some people and I'm like, you abusive as hell, but that's a whole different story. That's you misusing the training that was given to you. And like you already pointed out, Raven, that can happen anytime. That's not the school's fault or a training style's fault. That is a person's choice. And the hard thing as a service dog handler is you do have to walk this line between making sure that you stay on top of the dog that you have and don't let them be too much of a dog while they're working. And some dogs will check themselves. And then some days your dog is not going to check themselves. And that means you have to. And you have to handle them in a way that is firm enough to set these boundaries and remind them of what your expectations are. And then also you don't want to be too harsh. I agree. And... Um, sometimes we are too harsh and sometimes we are too lax. That's really hard. Sometimes you don't you don't know until you do it. And it's like, damn, that was extreme. Or sometimes you do something that someone else thinks is extreme. But then I'm like, OK, well, that's what it takes to get to this dog. I understand you think the prong collar looks like a medieval torture device, but that is my preference. That is what I am better able to use as a handler and then also able to use successfully to communicate with my dog. And then there's times where, like, I was doing something with my dog. I was repositioning him. I did it with my knee. And I've shown this method to an instructor because my dog was curling in front of me. And his this motherfucker was long. He was, like, 30 inches long. <laughs> and somebody was like, you just kicked that dog. And I'm like, you know what? I ain't got time to deal with you. That was one of my call the school moments because in my head, I'm like, whatever. If they come out, I'm going to show them exactly what I just did. Whatever. Like just stuff like that and handlers do it to you and i think y'all all got the general public to contend with and then we bring that petty bullshit to each other and are just like you should and shouldn't do this and it's just like you understand that all dogs are not the same all dogs are not treat motivated all dogs don't respond to corrections positively all they're all fucking different just like we are and the fact that you think there's this black and white approach to dog handling is really fucking ignorant Speaking of ignorant, let's talk about our first time getting dogs and the things we didn't know. (laughs) So I've had dogs. You said you didn't. My first time seeing Artemis, who was a yellow lab, 
I was so confused because up to that point, I've had a Chihuahua mix, Rottweiler, Sherman Shepherd. Well, we did have a Cocker Spaniel, but I don't remember what her ears were like. So I've had dogs before, but all of them had stand-up ears. There might be a name for that, but I always call them stand-up ears. And I call the other ones flops or floppy ears. So the first time I saw Artemis and I'm touching all over him to see what he looks like and stuff like that. Check him out. And then I get to his ears and these bad boys just hanging down over it. I'm just like, can he hear? Because I had never seen a dog with floppy ears before. And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, how? <laughs> like, it's hanging over his ear holes. Like, how is he supposed to hear anything? And that was my first time finding out the labs uh, have floppy ears. And yes, in fact, they do uh, hear just fine, provided they have that ability. Um, and it's funny now, because since Artemis, all of our pet dogs, they've all had floppy ears. But I was like, they gave me a dog that can't fucking hear. Like, what? What? I'm blind. He deaf. Like, how this gonna work? That's when I found out that the ears move and they can move them and adjust them and whatnot. I had no idea. I did not grow up with dogs at all. Like, yes, I encountered dogs growing up. I spent time at friends' houses and saw their dogs, but I've never, like, took care of any dogs my family and we never had any pets at all. I was extremely ignorant when it came to dogs. Like, everything I learned about canine care. I mean, it started at the guide dog school. And I don't know, there's stuff I should have looked up and I just didn't. Mm. I was telling Olivia, the first time my dog got the hiccups, I was on the phone with the vet clinic, bro, because I was like, what? My dog is having spasms in his chest. And they were like, is he having trouble breathing? And I was like, well, no, he can breathe, but like his chest is spasming. And they were like, are they violent spasms? Are they short spasms? Is it really short like hiccups? And I'm like, Dogs can get hiccups. <laughs> Just like, oh, I was thinking that something was really wrong. He's dying. I've killed him. <laughs> I was about to call the school. I was like, oh, man. Oh, Lord. I did not know dogs could get allergies. So the first time Artemis got these really bad, like he, he would get hives and they were seasonal. He'd always get them in the spring and they'd be all over his tummy and around his genital area. And I remember the one time I called, <laughs> I called the vet and I was like, I don't know. I just panicked. And so I was like, yeah, he's a, uh, he's got these red spots. Of course I can see them or feel them, but my family was like, what's that red stuff on his stomach? And I was like, oh God, oh God. So then I called the vet and I'm like, yeah, he's got all these red spots on his stomach and, uh, uh, I forgot the word for genitalia. So I was like, oh, and his, uh, his penis. <laughs> They're like, is it allergies? I'm like, that's possible. I was like, he's a dog. <laughs> they were like, dogs can have allergies too. And I was like, since when? <laughs> I had no clue. Yeah, it's funny how we don't think of all the overlap between the human experience and the experience with other animals. We just don't learn about it all. Like I said, the schools can only do so much education before you ask. You just got to learn and I don't know, doing my job where I like help with dog breeding and puppies and stuff, it's been fascinating to learn all these other things. And my friends who are guide dog handlers know way more about dogs than they ever needed to know and <laughs> probably are interested in knowing. But that's what comes with the territory. It was entertaining not knowing all the dog things and learning them. And sometimes that meant doing my dog a disservice because there were sometimes something was a problem and I didn't know. 
Mm-hmm. And I felt really bad about that. I am grateful for all the knowledge I have now. <laughs> I know how important it is to look over your dog and put your fingers in their ears and all this stuff. It's been very valuable. The last thing we wanted to talk about was thinking about your guide dog as your partner versus thinking of them as a tool. Originally, if you just asked me straight up, like, how did you perceive your your dog, your guide dog? I would automatically have to mark, say, my child. Now, I would like to put in the caveat here that the feelings I had for him were very maternal, but the expectation was that of a partner. Like if I had a human child, I would not expect my human child to do for me what I expected my guide dog to do for me. I was responsible for his care, his advocacy, and keeping him happy, and just the emotions that I felt toward him, like I said, were very maternal. You pointed something out that really resonated, and they play a lot of different roles, Uh, parent, boss, (laughs) subordinate, all of that. And when you said that, I was like, actually, you have a point. He did fill all of those roles at one point in time. Like, I remember one time I got lost. And he let me, you know, make the decisions for a while. And I I want to be careful with that too. He knew where we were trying to go because we'd gone there before. I just got a little off track. And because he knew where we were going, uh, when I wasn't getting us there in the way he thought we should, (laughs) he started basically being more assertive and guiding me toward the place I was actually looking for. There are instances, I've got a few of those. So to say he was only my kid, no, but that's first and foremost, even now, how I think of him. It was another friend of mine who they actually were talking about that when they were experiencing illness with their second guide dog. They were talking about how Your guide dog is all of these different things to you, right? They are your parent and your child. They are your boss and your subordinate. They are your partner oftentimes. But it is a truly symbiotic relationship that we have with these dogs. They need you just as much as you need them. And I think this is what separates us from pet partnerships, where I didn't just get this dog to make me happy or didn't just get this dog because I like having dogs around. And I think I've talked about it on here before about how I actually didn't like dogs very much growing up anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about dogs. They were just there. I didn't understand actually how people put their trust in dogs. And then after enough exposure to guide dog teams, I saw the value in them. And that's what made me decide to get a guide dog. That's the short of it. I do think of the dog as a partner. Yes, but ultimately the dog is a tool. My dog is an avenue for me to navigate the world. She is a tool, and it's weird to refer to her in that way. But I didn't get her because I fell in love with her. When people have these these stories about how they pick their dog out, right? This is another thing that separates pet people from service dog people, at least those of us who get our dogs from schools, right? Other people handpicked this dog for me. And It wasn't based on, hey, Raven likes dogs with this type of a coat and this type of a face. It was Raven walks this fast. Raven lives this type of a lifestyle. Raven is this type of a handler. Raven's totally blind. She wants a dog that has low distractibility. Right. When I think of that type of selection process, ultimately, the dog is a tool. I don't use that word as if to make it seem like the dog is a throwaway thing. Because, uh, yeah, like a car, if you want the best mileage and usage out of that thing, 
you're going to take care of it like it's your baby. You're going to make sure you wash it as often as you need to. You get take it in for change. maintenance. You <laughs> learn to do some maintenance on your own. You make sure it's looking good on the outside and feeling good on the inside. When it comes to a dog, it's that and more, right? Because part of making sure your dog is functioning optimally for you as a tool means that she is functioning optimally as a dog. She gets opportunities to have her outlet as a creature who is bred to work and then also have an outlet as, hey, I'm just an animal. And like part of existing is having the joys of the simplicity of it. Like I'm just here and I get to play and I get to eat and I get to have treats and I get to sniff and pee in the leaves. And all of that is very important. I don't want to diminish that aspect of her experience by saying, yeah, "Yeah, the dog is a tool. But at the same time, If she did not work the way I needed a guide dog to a couple of months after we got home, I'd be sending her back because I didn't get her to get a pet. I agree with that. And it might be a matter of semantics, but I prefer aid. I see the dogs, especially before you develop a bond with them, they are mobility aid. Mm -hmm. And then as you go and grow... That's when the emotions come in. Now, did I fall in love with Artemis when I first saw him? Absolutely, because he was so cute. He had fluffy ears and he was so excited. I got kisses. He was wagging his tail. That made me feel good. And so I was predisposed. One, I already liked dogs. I loved dogs to the same thing that you said, you know, they matched us when we went on our Juno walks. And for those people who don't know what those are, those are the walks that you go on the way they did it. And I, they might still do it. The instructor would hold the harness and pretend to be a dog. And so they would gauge how fast you walk. Your gait and your yeah, stride, your gait, all, all these all different things. And then they would match you with the dog to their best knowledge of the crop of dogs that was ready to graduate. They would match you with the best match. I prefer aid because they are a mobility aid. I think aid but- is a more a more appropriate term, sure. I do understand the idea of the dog being a being of utility first. I do get that. For me, it all kind of came together all into one big thing. Like, yes, he helps me. That's his first priority. However, the rest, it's all tangled up in there with it. I did not bond with either of my dogs off the top. You know, my first dog, it took me a minute to bond because I didn't know crap about dogs. This was the first dog that I even had to bond with. And so Mm -hmm. I was thinking of the bonding process in a very mechanical way. And maybe that's why I use more mechanical language, like calling them a tool instead of an aid. I was like, okay, let's figure out the working angle first and then bonding comes later. Ah, no choice. Yeah, he was like, I'm a golden, so the bonding... Is right now. And, you know, Goldens, they they think they're lap dogs, right? They're 70-pound lap dogs, and and I had to learn to accept that. I was like, really? You just sit in a lap when you're 70 pounds? And so I had to learn to accept affection in that way and realize, you know, like, we didn't pick each other. Somebody else picked us to work out. And so you better you better make it work in so far as, like, receiving affection from the dog and, and making the bonding process work and To me, dogs were kind of on the gross end of things. Uh, So there was that. And then with the second dog, I didn't bond with her right away because I was still grieving, right? I got her not quite two months after my first dog died. And she was like, hey, I'm giving kisses and being cute. And I'm like, you're giving kisses and being annoying. (laughs) She's like, well, I think I'm cute. So that's all that matters. And I tried to embrace the cute moments and the new dog moments. And 
it was frustrating because she was having all the new dog moments, the new dog nonsense, I call it. And that's annoying. But then there were times where she was trying to climb into bed with me and other people would think that was cute. And I'm like, listen, I'm a firm bitch. You can't get in the bed. And I put her in the crate and then she cried and I I felt bad. And my dog does... Uh, she still kind of jumps up in the bed. Like, that's her thing. She wants to jump on the bed and, like, kiss you in the face, and then she jumps off the bed. To me, my brain was just like, this dog wants to bond with you. I had to bend my rules a little bit in order for us to bond. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I still think my brain thinks of them as a tool first, and then, you know, slowly maybe give me another dog. Maybe by dog number three, I won't think of it that way, but I think my brain, I have these rules in place. I have these reasons I got this dog, and I've got these rules that they've got to live by, and I'm not the most rigid guide dog user. I realize there there are certain preferences that the dogs have broken down over time. And I'm just like, okay, I can tolerate that. Or there's things I won't tolerate from a dog who's not mine. But then it's like, okay, well, this is my dog, though. So I'll tolerate it from you. Like kissing on the face. I will not let another dog kiss me on the face. Absolutely not. My dog dog can stick her tongue in my mouth. I don't care. (laughs) I can't. Olivia's not on board with the... Uh, you know what, Olivia, when I got my first dog, he wasn't like that. He didn't yeah. do that. He would do the very tentative one kiss on the face. Aww. He was a hugger. Aww. My dog right now is not really a hugger. He does not like cuddles. But she wants to lick you everywhere all over your face. And I hated that so much when I got this dog. I hated it. But I thought, again, mm-hmm. this is the way she expresses affection. And I'm going to accept that. That's beautiful. Of all the things, it was very annoying. but. I'm used to it now. Artemis, at one point, I don't know when he started to do this. I think I've, I'd had him for like a cool four or five years. In the morning time, he only did it on the weekends. My dog does things on my days off that she does not do on days we're going exactly. to work. I don't know what that is, they but she does. He would hold the blankets down so yes. I couldn't move. And then he would slowly lick my face. <laughs> I feel like Artemis. Or he would like burrow his nose through all the covers and then touch my bare skin with his cold ass nose. And then that would wake me up. And he'd be like, oh, great, you're awake. Can I eat now? <laughs> and he didn't even do it every weekend. He just did it a lot of the weekends. But you do, you do learn their ways. And it's basically at the core of it, it's compromise. And I was thinking about this when you were talking. It takes you anywhere from six to 18 months to bond with your dog. That has to be taken into consideration especially for people. Like you said, when you first got your dog, Kipling was your first, like your first, my dog. first dog. And then when you got Tango Ma, uh, you were grieving. So those are two like drastically different places. And of course your brain's gonna, you're dealing with some other stuff. So that has to be taken into consideration. And then sometimes like kids, I'm gonna keep it 100. You just don't bond with it. <laughs> like, that's just what it is. There's some people. I believe I have seen these guide dog teams. Yeah. Teams where I'm just like, do you love this dog? At all? Even a little bit? Even accidentally? You've had this dog for how long and y'all don't kick it together? You treat your dog so so cold. Y'all don't play together. You don't talk to your dog you at just all. You don't pet him or nothing? Yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff, um, which, I guess is, to work. which I guess <laughs> is cold. It's cold to me, shoot. There was this one, there was this one story that one of my instructors told, and there was this guy, and they were like, he was just the most unemotional type of person. And they said he would, when he would give praise, you know, you're supposed to get all excited. Like, Good job. But the guy would just be like, good boy. Well done. 
good boy. Oh my god, he was really stoic. Oh my god. And they were like, we were so concerned because the dog was very, you know, very loving, and this guy was just not into it. These dogs, at least mine, mine touched my heart. This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us. I squared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.